For those of you who don't know me, my name's Deontay, um, and uh, I'm going to be sharing a word with you tonight. Um, um, I serve, I'm one of many people who serve here at Cross Life. Uh, it's good to worship with you, it really is. Uh, rich songs. Rich, rich songs. I sure do appreciate them. Um, yeah, this, this last weekend, I was, we went to Billings. I keep telling this story over and over again. I went to Billings with a buddy. I went, to, I went with Luke Daly. Many of you know him. And uh, we went with another buddy of ours, Andrew. Um, and it was just so good. Uh, all the way down, two hours there and two hours back, we listened to an album called Jesus Firm Foundation. It was just a, such a, a rich, rich album. And what it does is it takes these old hymns and sort of, I guess, if you would, modernizes them. It's just a, a great album. And so uh, that might be a real weird way to start a message, um, but <laughs> I wanted to give you guys uh, an album to look into, Jesus Firm Foundation. Uh, just such rich, rich lyrics. It's hard to find nowadays, too, sometimes. Um, you know, when you got the drums going and you got the guitar going, and to have a solid message in the song that takes you back to the Word of God. Um, that's important. Uh, that's, that's essential. So uh, let's begin. I count it a great privilege uh, to be able to share God's word with you. Um, I've waited to preach this message to you. And I can say with a clear conscience that <clears throat> I don't think any message that I've spoken on, whether it be in Bible study or anywhere else, anything I've ever studied has, has gripped my heart as much as this has tonight. I don't mean to talk about myself, but uh, what I present to you tonight is, it's important. And tonight, as many of you know, we'll speak on assurance. Being assured of your salvation. Being assured of your salvation. And so, for the last couple of weeks, what have we been going through? What have we been learning? Anybody? Say it. The gospel, right? The gospel. We've been learning the gospel for the last couple of weeks. And last week, we answered the question, so what? So what? So what we're created to bring God, God glory? Uh, so what? Uh, we failed at that miserably. We've sinned. So what? Uh, so what? God's just and holy, and he must punish sin. So what? So what? God has given man a solution for their sin because they're in bondage. In Jesus Christ. So what? So what? So what Christ died on our behalf? Well, here's what. Last week, Tanner exhorted us from the word of God to repent and believe in the gospel. That's what. The Bible exhorts unbelievers, people who aren't Christians, people who don't trust in Jesus, to turn from their sin and turn and place faith in Christ. So I find it fitting right here now uh, to beg anyone who's in our midst, turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. Believe and place faith in the, in the gospel of Christ. Trust in Christ as the only way you can be saved. Like Tanner gave that example of the men gripping on and not letting go. Place soul, trust, and faith 
as the only way in which you can be saved from the holy wrath of God, which will come. It'll come. And so I ask the question now, what if somebody truly does repent of their sin and place faith in Christ? Like many of you here would profess faith in Christ and that you're a believer. What if, what if somebody says they're a Christian? How do you really know? How do you really know you're a believer? How do you know you've been born again, John 3? How do you know that that heart of stone has been taken out and a heart of flesh has been put, put inside? How do you know? How do you know? How do you know you've been made new? 2 Corinthians 5.17. That's the question I, we're going to answer tonight. It's the question we're going to ask. And I wish to wait, make a warning before I get going. I want to warn some of you tonight of making a grave mistake. And the mistake is this, tuning me out as I present to you the word of God. I'm, I'm of no importance. I'm of no importance, but the word of God, eternal value. And so who do I give this warning to? Who do I give this warning to? Who am I making this warning to? Many of you here probably saying, oh, the new people here, I mean, they've, they've never been here. They probably never heard the Bible, probably never heard the word of God preached. And I would agree. I, I want them to lock in. Uh, those who are new, I hope that if they're unbelievers, they hear the word of God and they turn to Christ. But my warning of not tuning me out is to the professing believers in the room. Uh, one of my favorite Bible teachers, um, he gave a long intro to one of his sermons at a conference once. And in that intro, he explained how early on in his ministry, he felt burdened to evangelize to the church. He felt as if God had gave him a personal burden of challenging the validity of people's salvation when he began his preaching ministry. Now, what people? The people who were sitting in his pews week in, week out to challenge the, the validity of their salvation. And as I stand before you here tonight, I, I would have to concur with him on that idea. Tonight, I'm burdened with challenging the validity of everyone's salvation. Everyone. Tonight, I have to reach, not the unreached, but the reached. The reached. This message tonight is for the Cross Life staff, including myself. Uh, this message tonight it's for the servant leaders, uh, the Bible study leaders. This message tonight is for those of you who attend Montana Bible College. Those of you who attend Grace Church. Those of you who are regulars here at Cross Life. Those of you who have heard the word of God preached week in and week out. This message is for you. messages for you. How do you know? How do you know you're real? 
How do you know you're really in? Everyone isn't in. There are some out there today who profess Christ, but in reality are false disciples, listen to me, on the fast track to an eternity apart from Christ. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that? Jesus said it. Matthew 7, Tanner took you to it last week. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, this is Jesus speaking, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. This is one of many themes in the New Testament. Professing believers who are truly unbelievers. Professing Christians who fit in with true Christians, but in reality are sons of disobedience. This is a theme throughout the New Testament. As an intro, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. This is Jesus giving a parable. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Some of you guys get there. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master, and the servants of the master of the house came and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, didn't do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, less than gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in the bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus is given a comparison here to the kingdom of heaven, and he compares it to a man who has a field. And actually, in Matthew chapter 13, uh, verse 36 through 42, he explains that. Um, actually, if you were here this last summer, if I'm not mistaken, Josh, Josh Nelson taught on this. And so in this parable, you have the good seeds. And the good seeds are the believers. And the man sowing the good seed, it's his field. That's Christ. And the field is the world. And the weeds, they're the son of the devil. Unbelievers. And as Christ begin, brings men to believe, in, to believe in him, as Christ brings men to repentance, listen, the enemy Satan is also at work, placing unbelievers in the midst of them, in the midst of them. Verse 25, look at it. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy Satan came and sold weeds among them, among the wheat and went away. And then Christ's servants, this is speaking of the angels, they begin to notice the weeds as they grew. They begin to notice the weeds as they grew. And so we see in verse 27, And the servants of the master of the house came and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then those weeds, they start to notice these weeds. Why are they there? Didn't you sow good seed? Verse 28, he said, An enemy has done this. Satan has done this. Verse 29, and the disciples said, uh, sorry, verse 28, and he said to them, 
uh, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go gather them? Do you want us to go take away those weeds? Do you want us to go take away those weeds? Now, my question is, why would the servants pull up the wheat along with the weeds? Jesus says in verse 29, look at it. He said, no, less than gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Why, why couldn't they just e- easily, easily distinguish between the wheat and the weeds? They're weeds. You see them. Pick them up. Why does he say no and wait until they grow? Well, the problem is this, that it's nearly impossible to distinguish between the wheat and the weeds. The unbelievers and the believers at a certain point in time. The unbelievers and believers look identical for a while. And that is why Christ tells his servants to wait until the end of the age when they can make a clear distinction between the weed and the wheat. Listen, God has brought salvation to men and Satan has placed unbelieving lookalikes in their midst. In the church, in Bible college, in cross life, there are those who look like believers but in the end will be revealed to be untrue. Let me give you another example of this in Scripture. Flip over with me to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I say it again, believers and unbelievers, they can look alike. They can look alike. And this is Jesus. Uh, He was having his last meal with his disciples, the Passover. And as he was having this meal, something troubled him in his heart. Something troubled him. Verse 21. Look at verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and, and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. One of you will betray me. What was Jesus troubled at? Well, he knew that he was about to be delivered over into the hands of the Romans uh, by the Jews. But even before that, he knew that he was about to be deceived by one, of, by one of his own. One of the 12 that were in his midst that he hung around for three years. He was about to be betrayed by one of them. Think about that. Your closest companions and about to be betrayed. Surely this man was going to be easily distinguished, right? Surely the disciples were going to be like, aha, I knew it. There you are, you fake. I knew it. You ain't real. Surely they were going to say that, right? Look at verse 22. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. This verse is one of the most terrifying verses in all of Scripture. We all know that betrayed to be Judas. But didn't the disciples know? At that supper when Jesus said that, couldn't they? Why didn't they say, Judas, we knew it. Get out. We don't want you. Couldn't they tell that this man, Judas, would betray Christ? Couldn't they tell? The answer is obviously no. Verse 22, look at it again. I want you to look at it. The disciples 
looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Judas' unbelief wasn't blatant. He looked like everyone else. Like the rest of the disciples, he sat at Jesus' feet and learned. Like the rest of the disciples, he went out and shared the gospel and performed many miracles. Like the rest of the disciples, he witnessed the glorious works and heard the glorious words of Christ for three years. But unlike the rest of the disciples, he's burning in hell. I go back to my initial question. Who's real? How can we know we're, we truly love Christ? I want to challenge you tonight. As we see from Scripture, not everyone who says they're saved is saved. And even more fearful than that is the fact that believers and unbelievers can look the same. They can learn from the tr- same truths of Scripture. They can hang out around the same group, cross life. They can put on the same smile, use the same vocab, do the same works. But yet their destination when they leave this earth is not the same. Are there Judases among us tonight? Are there weeds among us tonight who in time will be shown to be untrue? I hope and pray not. I hope and pray not, but... In a group this size, you wonder. You wonder. So let's begin our short journey towards answering the question, how do I know I'm truly a believer? Turn with me to 1 John. 1 John. Many of you are familiar with this book. It's a great book. Who's John's writing to? Who's John writing to? He's writing to believers. He's writing to believers. What's his purpose in writing the letter? The believers were being threatened by false teaching, causing confusion amongst the group. They were being shaken as they were attacked with these heresies. These believers, the church, these churches, they were attacked with these heresies. They were being tossed to and fro. And so the apostle John, being well aware of the danger and the effects of false doctrine, addresses this issue head on. John understands that his beloved children... In the faith are a bit shaken up uh, due to this false teaching. And so he reminds them of the fundamental truths of Christianity. And as John puts forth these fundamental truths before these young believers, his hope is this. That they're assured in their faith in Christ. As he set these truths beside them, he hoped that they would look at them and line their life up against them and be assured. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. He says that there. John says, chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. Are these fundamental truths that John lays right next to his believers in the form of a letter? Many of you would call them the test of 1 John. And many of you are familiar with those tests. Many of you are. The test of confessing Jesus as Christ. Uh, The test of loving loving the brethren. Uh, The test of obedience to the commands of Scripture. Many of you would pass those tests. 
Many of you would pass those tests. But what I want to bring to your attention today is not just the truth test. I don't want to just lay those beside you. Those, those are essential. I want to talk about the time test. Well, what do you mean, Deontay, the time test? What do you mean? Well, what I mean is this, that many of you here today will look outwardly like genuine believers. You seem to have a love for the brethren. Obedience is a mark of your life. And you confess that Jesus is the Christ. But what about in three years? Will you be the same you? What about in six months? Same you, holding to the truths of the gospel? If not, if not, if you turn away, what are we to say about you? What are we to say? You were saved and then unsaved? Well, no, that's foreign to Scripture. I know what we're to say. Look at 1 John 2, verse 19. 1 John 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. John laid before his audience the fundamental truths of Christianity, but being well, well aware of the fact that believers and unbelievers can look alike, he lays out the time factors of Christianity as well. That is this, that the true believer will remain in the truth over time. They won't turn away. It won't turn away. I want to bring to you the time test tonight. Our text is 1 John 2, 24. Let's read that. 1 John 2, verse 24. John writes, Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you, remain in you. That's the word there. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you or abides in you, then you too will abide or remain in the Son and in the Father. What is John saying? He's saying this in summary, that believers are to hold on to the truths that, were to de- that was delivered to them from the beginning. They are not to depart from those truths ever. Ever. They do, they'll come back. And if indeed they remain grounded in those truths of Scripture, they will remain in Christ. But consequently, if they didn't remain in the truths, they would prove themselves to be unbelievers in the first place. Now, immediately there arise some interpretive challenges, and we'll discuss those when we get there. But let's dig into this verse a little more. John says first, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you or remain in you. Now, some of your versions say, as for you, let what you heard from the beginning abide with you. Or some might say, therefore, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. I believe the NIV and the NASB NASB, uh, give the best translation of what John is trying to say here. Sorry, the elected standard version didn't quite cut it this time. Um, uh, John was just speaking about an unbelieving group before coming to this verse. And he seeks to make a contrast between that unbelieving group and his believing audience. And so he says, unlike those of whom I was just speaking of, as for you, remain in the truth that you heard from the beginning. 
those people that John was just speaking of before coming to this verse didn't remain in the truth. Who were those people? Look at verse 18. Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. The Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. That is the last hour. Uh, these people were none other than opposers of Christ. That's what that word Antichrist means. Uh, not the Antichrist spoken of in the book of Daniel and Revelation, but people who are like him, people who oppose Christ. Uh, these ind- individuals, listen to this, they weren't always pointed out to be opposers of Christ. They didn't always look like enemies of Christ. Actually, listen to this. At one point, they would have looked to be the exact opposite. Those who were for Christ. But these individuals departed from the truth of the gospel. They left the fundamentals of the faith. Deontay, where are you getting that from? Look at verse 19. They, speaking of the Antichrist, went out from us, but they were not of us. See, these individuals, this us that he's speaking of as believers, these individuals were once a part of the church. They were in the truth at one point, but eventually they departed from the truth, proving themselves never really to be Christians at all, but rather antichrist. So going back to verse 24, John was telling his audience that unlike those who were in the church at one point and then left, unlike those who seemed to be rooted in the truth of God but then left, unlike them, you let what you heard remain in you. Let it remain in you. What did John's audience hear from the beginning? What was this true, pure message? What was this? It was the message of the apostles given to them by Christ and his spirit, of course. This was the message that from the one true God concerning Christ. Or as one commentator put it, this was the original and authentic message of Christ. Death for sin and his conquer over death. It was that message. This message, John continually preached to his group. Chapter 1 tells, him, tells us that. He was continually preaching th- this to his group. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. No other way. What else did they hear from the beginning? This wasn't it. Uh, they also heard from the beginning that those who profess to be believers walk like Jesus walked, of course. He says that in chapter 2, verse 6. And also that those... What they also heard from the beginning is that those who profess Christ love other believers, a sacrificial love. These things they were to stick to. John said, let them remain in you. Let them stick with you. Let them govern your life. What's the application to you? Remain in the truth. Remain in the truth of God's word. You just heard the pure gospel for two weeks, untampered with. Two weeks, directly from the mouth of God himself. Stick to those truths. Continually let those truths rule your life. Those who are true will, not perfectly, but continually be ruled by those truths. How do you know you're real? 
Stick to the truth. Stick with the truth. Let, the tr- let your life be evidence that you're sticking with the truth. I want to tell a story to you guys. A story about a man by the name of Charles Templeton. Some of you might know this story, but I, I imagine many of you don't. Uh, Charles Templeton was an evangelist in the early 20th century. He was, man, he was the right-hand man of Billy Graham. Him and Billy Graham, they rolled together. They rolled together. They were dogs. <laughs> These two men were ones whom the states, the U.S., hadn't seen since the days of the great evangelist D.L. Moody. These two men were fervent for Christ, and their passion for his name and for his gospel was unquestionable. Unquestionable. They seemed to have one goal in life, preach Christ. Preach Christ. Seemed as if that's all they knew. Templeton, Charles Templeton, many said, he seemed to be the brighter of the two. And this is Billy Graham I'm talking about. He seemed to be the brighter of the two. During the 1950s and 60s, Templeton preached to crowds of size 10,000 to 30,000. He packed stadiums. He thrilled audiences with the proclamation of the gospel. This is what Templeton did. Many thought he was going to be the one to, once again, turn the world upside down with the message of Christ. But something got in the way with this man named Charles Templeton. In 1948, Templeton's life began to take a different direction. Uh, Doubts about the Christian faith began to arise in his heart as he was about to enter seminary. He began to question the reliability of the Bible. He began to question things like the Genesis account of the creation and give attention to Darwin's theories. He began to question whether eternal punishment of a soul was right, even if that man was a sinner. He began to question these things and wrestle with them until in 1957, listen to this, he would publicly declare that he became an agnostic. Templeton? Charles Templeton? 10,000 to 30,000 proclamation of the gospel? This man, agnostic? Not too long ago, two decades ago, he wrote a book, Farewell to God, The Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Templeton died in 2001 of Alzheimer's disease. And let me tell you this, Templeton died in his sins. He professed Christ in 1936. He recanted in 1957. That's a little over 20 years. That's how, that's, how, that's how long most of us have been alive. 20 years. What are we to say about Charles Templeton? What category can we stick him into? 20 years he was in the truth. 20 years he was firm in the faith. 20 years he was a proclaimer of Christ. 20 years he remained. What are we to say about this tragic story? Saved and then unsaved? No. Look at 1 John 2, verse 19. Look at it. They went out from us, 
but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out of us that it might become plain that they all are not of us. He was never of us. He was never of us. Let the truth remain in you. Stick to the fundamentals of the gospel. Back to verse 24. John says, first, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. John exhorts his readers to stick to the fundamentals of the truth. And then he says, if those truths with you, which you heard are held on to firm from the beginning, those truths which you heard from the beginning, you too will remain in Christ. And I want to tell you something that John is not saying here. He's not saying you could lose your salvation. The believer can't lose his salvation. It might sound like that as you read. He first exhorts the believers to let the truth remain in them. And then he says, if the truth remains in you, then you too will remain in God. But, and I want to make another note. Uh, you don't abide in Christ and then not abide in him. Jesus makes that clear in John 10. You don't, you're not in Christ and then out of Christ. It's not possible. But going back to this verse, it makes it sound like He's saying you can lose your salvation. He gives a conditional statement, which it is. It is a conditional statement. Those who don't remain in the truth of God's word won't remain in Christ. And and that's exactly what you should get from this verse. But listen, all true believers, if you're true, you will continue. You will continue. All true believers stick, stick to the truth of God's word. So then why does he say, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you? Aren't these believers? Isn't it automatic? Isn't it automatic? So then why then the conditional statement? Why then? It's automatic, but here's, I want to say this. There are no couch potato Christians. What I mean by that is that abiding in the truth is automatic for the true believer, yet at the same time we are to work to remain in the truth. Once again, I want to make something clear. He's not saying you can lose your salvation based on your spiritual work ethic. He's not saying that. But the believer is commanded to actively pursue the truths of the scriptures. Actively. We are to constantly be reminding ourselves, refreshing our hearts with the fundamentals of the gospel. Think about what John's audience is going through. They're being attacked from every angle by false teaching. Look at verse 26. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Referring back to the Antichrist. They were trying to deceive these people. What were they saying? Verse 22. Look at verse 22. He says, who is, the, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies that the Father and the, who, he who denies the Father and the Son. They were being attacked by false doctrines. They were being attacked by false doctrines. And they were to be constantly pursuing the true message of God. Verse 28. Verse 28. John again exhorts them. And now, little children, abide in him. Remain in Christ. The believer must actively pursue Christ and his teaching. You must actively do this. 
This is Jesus in John 10. We read it during prayer. John 10. This is a rich text. Jesus says, I give them eternal life. He's speaking of his sheep. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. What a promise. Praise the Lord. The true believer will finish the race. The true believer will persevere. And yet at the same time, the believer must remain in the truth. He must remain in the truth. And if you don't remain in the truth, you prove yourselves never to be genuine in the first place. This isn't something that, that's foreign to Scripture that I bring to you tonight. It's not foreign to Scripture. This idea of endurance and continuing being a mark of a true believer is all throughout the New Testament. Who likes journeys? I love journeys. Would you guys go on a journey with me right now? Turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We're going to see where else this is in the New Testament. Luke chapter 8. This is Jesus giving his parables of the seeds, sowing the seeds, the word, and they fell along the paths. They fell along the paths. Chapter 8, verse 13. Verse 13. And those, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. Uh, they believe for a while, and in, t- and in the time of testing, fall away. They weren't real. They fell away. Verse 14, and as for what fell among the thorns, it's a different group of people. They are those who hear, but as they go on in their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruits does not mature. Who's real? Who's genuine? Verse 15, as for those that in the good soil, as for those that in the good soil, they are those who, what, hearing the word, is that it? Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with repentance. That's who's real. Those who hold on to it. Turn to me to John 8, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Jesus speaking in verse 31. He says, So Jesus said to the Jews who believed, If you abide in the word, you are truly my disciples. Who's true? Those who remain. Those who remain in the word of God. Those who stick to the truths of this holy text. This was Jesus' message. Endurance, continuing, being the mark of the, of the believer. This was also the apostles' message. Look at Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. This is Paul. He was just stoned here. Paul was just stoned and he was thought to be dead, but... He got back up and started preaching. 
What else, what else does Paul know? <laughs> and he started preaching. And what did he proclaim to those believers? Um, verse 20. Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, this was Paul, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Uh, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they turned to Ly- Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to what? Continue in the faith. Continue. These were disciples he was speaking to, believers. Continue in the faith. Turn with me to Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Let's keep going on our journey. This is in the New Testament. Colossians 1. Colossians 1, verse 21. And you, says Paul, speaking to the church, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he, speaking of Christ, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, And steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. He's reconciled you if you continue in the truth. Look at 2 John. This is a book you thought you never turned to in your life. 2 John. (laughs) 2 John. is John. He's speaking to a different audience here, but the same issues going on with false teachers to this elder he's writing to. Verse 7, starting in verse 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. False teaching. False teaching. Such a one is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch yourselves. So that you may not lose what we've worked for, but may win in a full reward. Watch yourselves. Verse 9, here it is. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide, remain in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Does not have God. Whoever remains in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. It's clear. It's extremely clear. A sign of a believer is that they pass the time test. They remain in the truth. What's the application? Remain in the truth. Stick to the truth. Going back to 1 John 2.24, if you remain in the truth, you will remain in the Father and in Christ. You want to be assured of your salvation? Well, here's how you know. It's at the top of your page. Stick to the truth. Stick to the truth. Let the truth rule your life now and let it rule your life forever. Stick to the truth of God's word. There's so much false teaching going on out there. And you hear about people turning away, turning away. Stick to the truth. 
How does this apply in our evangelism? Well, when someone professes Christ, we as ambassadors should not walk away from the conversation then if someone says, yeah, I'm a Christian, but rather probe them to see which Christ they've placed faith in. Is it the one and true Christ, namely Jesus of the Bible? Similar to what the Apostle John did, we are to lay the fundamentals of Christianity beside those individuals who proclaim Christ. And lastly, we are to wait. If someone indeed passes the truth test, wait and see if they remain in the truth. Time and truth, they go hand in hand. Hand in hand. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's so, so precious. It's so pure. It's so true, God. It's where we find our firm foundation. Going back to the scriptures, Lord. Oh, Father, uh, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, I pray for this group here, everyone here, that they remain in the truth, that they stick to the truth, Lord. I beg and pray. Father, and I, I would be foolish to not ask of you to bring unbelievers to Christ in a group this big, Lord. It's, it's possible that some people here don't know you. I pray, Lord, for them that they get in the truth, Lord. They can't remain in the truth if they don't know the truth, that they would talk about somebody about the truth of God's word, about the gospel message, which Romans 1 says is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone. Lord, we pray for them. Pray that they will repent and believe in the gospel of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for being our firm foundation. Thank you for choosing us as sheep and not letting anyone snatch us away. But Lord, at the same time, will we remain in the truth? We lift these things up for your glory and in your son's name. Amen.